Hello, hello. This is Deo Moano with Persevere to Excel podcast. I am super excited for my interview today. I feel like I've been going back to back. I've been slacking the last couple of weeks without interviewing anybody, but I am back. And part of this segment of the interviews that I have set up is really talking to black fathers around what their experience is like. And, um, and today I have Jamie Williams with me and I'm super pumped to have Jamie with me. Jamie, how you doing? Good, good. How's things? Things are going well on my end, man. I, I, I've been seeing within the last couple of months, I've seen so many different projects that you've been doing around the house, man. How's that going? <laughs> it's, it's good. You know, um, I've never uh, I, I fought myself to be a, a, a super handyman, but uh, with quarantine, it's, it's given me time to kind of delve into some new projects and different skills that I didn't even know I had. So. <laughs> That's awesome. What's, what's the latest project you guys been working on? Yeah, it's just Christmas lighting. And, you know, just putting up stuff on our, our back fence and uh, making everything look pretty and uh, the front of the house look pretty. But, you know, no, no, no heavy lifting right now. That's great. That's awesome. And, and do you guys have an, uh, an outdoor outlet? Because that always seems to be uh, the, the, the challenge that most people end up facing, right, when it comes to where are we going to plug it in? You know, are we going to make the cord come out of a window, come out of a door? Yeah, we're fortunate. We've got... Uh, we've got um an outlet on the front of the house so we can uh, do some maneuvering with some of the extension cords and uh, make the front of the house look uh, really nice. That's great. That's awesome. Well, Jamie, I, I, I always like to tell my audience how I, uh, how I know my, um, my guests. So uh, Jamie and his family, uh, their kids were taking dance classes for me a couple of years ago. And, um, and, and we've kept in touch at, at different, you know, right now it's through social media, right? That's the only way people keep in touch. But um, he's connected with a university that I used to work for in the past. And um, so I, 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 I've been seeing a lot of different things that he's doing and he's posting and I was like, man, I got to get Jamie on, 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 one of the podcasts here so we can chop it up. So that's how I know Jamie and that's how I'm bringing him in. And he's a big <laughs> soccer fan. So if you love soccer, Jamie is a Huge. big, big, big soccer fan. So what, what's going on in the soccer world? Give, give us a little update. What's happening. Ooh, man. Um, what's not happening. So right now, um, the big thing is champions league. Um, that's being played right now. And uh, this coming summer, there's going to be, you know, World Cup qualifiers. There's right. going to be um, the Gold Cup for the U.S. national team. Um, other different, you know, smaller tournaments that are going on at uh, the Olympics. Right. Um, you know, that were delayed. Um, so there's just a ton of a ton of soccer to watch right now and i'm now like, for Whoa. sure i've been seeing some of your posts on facebook i do want to highlight though the 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 icon that we've lost in soccer right maradona i remember being a young boy growing up in the congo that was you know anytime i did a trick i was like oh maradona that was that was the kind of nickname i try to give myself and that was i definitely did not have maradona's um talent <laughs> i was uh i was fortunate enough to um go to the world cup when it was here um, in the States, and I got to watch uh, Argentina play Greece at um, the old Foxborough Stadium. Yep. Um, and it was a, uh, it was the delight, you know, it was, the, I think they uh, beat Greece 2 nothing, and he had a goal, and it was just, he, he was, um, he was the best. He, he, he brought so much 
flair and so much um, grit and grind. Um, you know, the game has changed rules-wise lately. Um, back then, you know, players, quality players, the best players weren't really, you know, protected, um, as you say. And uh, so it was, uh, you know, it was super physical back then, but he was never one to complain. He took his lumps, but he still, he still made some of the greatest defenders in the world look average. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. That's really incredible to just see the legacy that he had. And he also had a lot of personal other stuff that wasn't too crazy in terms of how people uh, viewed him and, and his influences. Um, re regarding soccer, I, I know that you're, you're super involved with soccer. You're actually a, a soccer coach, correct? Right. Um, I'm the uh, assistant women's soccer coach at Southern New Hampshire University. For sure, for sure. So one of my questions to you is how much of your passion for soccer do you, that you try to, you know, influence your, your kids or your children on? Is that something that, you know, you hold on to as like, listen, if they're interested, cool. If they're not, that's their own thing. But I'm just curious as, as uh, someone who played collegial soccer and now you are a assistant soccer coach, um, how much of that have you tried to, to pass on to your children? So when they were younger, um, you know, we got them into rec and um, tried to see if it kind of stuck, you know, not, not trying to force them into anything. Um, you know, it's always interesting when, when people who know me ask me if my kids play soccer and I tell them, no, they, they don't. It just wasn't their thing. You know, they always say, oh, are you, are you disappointed? I said, no, no, I'm not really disappointed. You know, my, my son is into a variety of things. He loves gymnastics. Um, he does karate. Um, you know, obviously he's a little kid, so he's into his Minecraft stuff. Um, but my daughter has been dancing for going on probably 11 years um and that's her thing um she excels at it um she loves to do it so um you know I, my wife and i put everything that we can into that so that she has the best opportunity to be as successful at that as she possibly can no for sure Th thank you for sh for sharing that and 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 that's a perfect segue to to my next question around that expectation thing right it's like it's it's one of those dynamic where you know as when you when you become a father it's like you you start kind of evaluating of what what you want to pass on and what are the things that you want to introduce and and sometimes everybody has their own modality right in terms of what they do in order to foster a certain thing and that expectation piece is something around a lot of the my focus around a lot of the interviews that I've been having recently that I've been so fascinated about in terms of in 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 relation to like the black dad experience right how do you what influences kind of the the expectation that that you have for yourself as a father but then also the expectation that you pass on to 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 your children you know i i, I grew up in a uh West Indian family. My parents are from Trinidad, and um, my dad was an uh, an iron worker. My mom was a nurse. Um, you know, thirty plus years in both industries, and um, they taught me, you know, a lot about persistence, perseverance, um, being um, quality human beings. Um, and I think, you know, the biggest thing that I want 
for my kids is to become quality human beings, right? So, um, you, you know, you're respectful of your elders, um, you know, you're respectful of your peers. Um, you could always be somebody who um, your peers can come to um, as, a, you know, an influential individual, even at a, you know, even at a young age, um, um, I want them to, um, you know, continue to, to work hard at the things that they love to do. Um, you know, one of the, those are one of the things, you know, my wife and I continue to preach that, um, you know, regardless if you have hurdles in front of you, um, the more you persevere, the more you, um, you know, find an experience, um, understand that experience and um, find a solution to that experience, whether negative or positive, um, will only continue to allow you to grow um, and mature um, as a human being. So, you know, th those are the things that we kind of every day kind of, you know, drop a little nugget in their ear about, you know, just be just be good people, mm. you know, work hard and just be good people. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, uh, Jamie. It's, it's fascinating on my end when it comes to my, my fatherhood experience, because I, I've, I've, I kind of artificially, not even artificially, I kind of experienced certain milestone within a father role already, but it wasn't my kids. It was my younger brothers. So now that I have kids of my own where you know, they're still in the early stage of their development and what they're figuring out and who they are and who they want to be. It's, it's, it's allowing me to kind of reflect a little bit more around experiences that I've had with my brothers where I was like, what the heck? That shouldn't even be my, that shouldn't have been even my responsibility in the first place. But it was something that happened a couple of years ago. Um, uh, even through high school and even at a certain point when some of my brothers were in college, they still like sought me out often for a lot of different things, right? Like opinion and what do you think about this? How do I do this or whatever it is? I'm the oldest of five boys. And I, I kind of took that responsibility like as if it was like completely mine. And I, I made it almost like mine. And then when they started to like do their own thing, to a certain extent, I kind of got I got offended a little bit. Where I was like, like, how can he do that, or why would he make that decision? Like he didn't, he didn't consult with me. And I remember my wife was like, Dale, like they're your brothers, they're not your children. But like it was one of those things where like I play that role for so long that when they started to branch out and kind of do their own little thing. And I think we even had we even had a a brother kind of a conference meeting where it's like, all right, let's let's level set here. And and I had to kind of tell them too. I'm like, guys, like, I'm your brother. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that you know that I'm here to give you opinions or give you recommendation, but like you can do your own thing. But at the same time, like you you gotta carry your weight now. Fall out. You know what I mean? I'm not gonna just come and have to clean up. You know what I mean? Clean up after you, depending on what, what you get into or what's going on. So, but fast forward to where I am now as a father of three kids, where my oldest is eight, my youngest is four. It's like, it's hard for me to not 
match those experiences that I've already had going through a very young age, kind of playing that father figure role for a very long time in comparison to where like, like when, when my wife and I first started having kids, like that was her first experience being a mother. Right. So like she wanted to experience everything for herself to be like, I want to figure it out. Like, how do I find a better technique for them to not cry anymore? Where for me, I was like, I've been changing diapers since I was six years old. And so it's like, I'm not scared of changing diapers or I'm not scared of a kid having a little hissy fuss. Right. Like, but it's it's it those stuff are so fascinating and so interesting in how it shapes who we are. But the one thing that's definitely different <coughs> is that my emotional attachment to my kids, it's not a duty. It's part of how I manifest the love that I have for them. And I think that is a different thing in terms of relationships that I've that I had with my brothers when they were younger because they didn't come from me. And I was, I was still a young boy who was trying to also figure out life for his own, you know, but yeah. that expectation thing, it's like, even now, like I, I have conversation a lot with my kids around, you know, they're still young, but they're, there's, they're still, they have, the, they're developing their own taste and their own preferences. And, and I'm, I, and I'm like, Oh, okay. So that's what used to happen with my brothers that I didn't know that that was, how they lashed out or how they responded to it, you know, but right. that expectation piece, it's, and it's a lot freeing for me too, because I come from a culture where there was a lot of structure, right. Growing up in the Congo and, you know, there's just certain stuff you just didn't touch. Like it wasn't part of the equation. Like it wasn't like, like, I don't know how it was for you, but like for me, like I, it wasn't like, it wasn't like this oh. emotional wall of, of like me and my dad, like when he was around, when he was, when he was alive for me to like, connect with them at that level of like hey dad i'm just gonna hop on your lap you know like like that wasn't that wasn't really the thing you know for so me. so it's very interesting that you say that like like i said you know my dad was a, a construction worker for 30 plus years um but my father was also um uh he was he was very um he is very um that same person, right? He, he, it was very difficult because he's a very manly man, um, you know, and it was very difficult for him for a long period of time to be like physically affectionate, mm. you know? So like trying to hug my dad was really awkward for him, you know? Um, you know, up until, uh, man, I want to say up until like I graduated college, um, only then did he start feeling a little bit more comfortable to be able to kind of like give me that hug and, you know, and, and, um, and what was that like for you? I'm, I just want you to stop. Like, what was that like for you? You know, like you've, you've, you've had this relationship all this time with him and now all of a sudden he's becoming more physically affectionate with you. Yeah. It, you know, and, and I always, uh, I would always kind of turn it into humor right i didn't want him to feel you know outwardly super awkward because i don't think he realized that he was doing it uh -huh. um so i'd always make a joke about it so it didn't make him feel so you know uncomfortable but then i just started kind of forcing it on him like i would you know every time i'd go visit them i'd leave and he'd be the last one I'd, and i'd give him a hug and he just kind of yeah, yeah you know <laughs> and, you know and then gradually he started to be a little bit more um you know, um, acceptable with it, um, especially when my mom 
when my mom got sick um, in the early stages, she, you know, he, I think he started to kind of realize um, that um, there's not a lot of days left, mm. you know, so um, he wanted to be um, in the present and um, anytime, you know, his grandkids were around, um, anytime I was around, you know, we'd always leave and he'd always give hugs. So, um, you know, and, and my mom had, my mom just passed in October, I mean, in, in August. Um, so it's a little bit more now for him that he sees like whenever he gets around family, it's, you know, say what you need to say in that moment, you know, so. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And, and, and so this is, this is literally one, one of the reason why I've wanted to focus this segment of my interviews recently around this idea of like how we show up as black father, but also how our experiences has influenced what we do. Right. And, and how, and, and, and how that comes about. And, but so far, like the different folks that I've interviewed, which which are um, people of color, predominantly bl- black folks from either West Indies or originally from from Africa, that seems to be the theme a lot. That there was this almost like macho ness around. Hey, listen, like I, I gotta hold down the ground. Like you know, I'm here. I'm here to provide for you. I'm here to take care of you. I support you. I'm I'm here to grind in whatever way it is, but. But the firm that firmness was always kind of the guide of the lead first, and then some have reflected that over time things started to change a little bit. As, but one thing someone said that I thought it was fascinating was that sometimes the wholeness of somebody comes with what kind of responsibility that they are carrying, and part of that responsibility depending on the flexibility that it comes with the responsibility or even access determines the space and time that person has to actually commit to certain aspect of who they are. And, and, and I thought that was interesting. I thought that was very interesting because I was like, Oh, I I wonder if, you know, you know, African-American individuals who depending on what kind of access that they had, that they had more free time to, to be able to be more expressive or other influences that they've had that they saw from other things that influence like my my wife's side of family are they're connected to Reginald Lewis who was this this one of the first billionaire um, African American guy went to Harvard and he had a huge hedge fund there's a huge museum in in Baltimore named after him and but the, that family I remember when I when I finally got to meet that part of the family it was a very different dynamic. You know, it was a di- very different experience. And, and, and I just saw how people were navigating how they move. I was like, wow, there's, there's a different vibe here. And, and my, um, my wife, his grandmother, who recently passed away two years ago, when I, when, every time I was around her, I, I always just wanted to j- just kind of feed off of her. Because I was like, man, Grammy's sitting on so much, like, experience and yeah. and 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 what she has endured and what she went through as an 85 and 86 years old woman african-american woman i'm like graham just teach me and and it was so funny because like my wife would kind of almost be surprised at times that i was gravitating to her at that like that like i remember one time i had a work thing 
in, 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 in DC. I literally took the train to Baltimore just so I can sleep over Graham's house, just so I can get a chance to talk to Graham. Yeah. And, um, and, and I think for me, I think halfway, half of that was also the fact that a lot of my grounding came from my Congolese experience. And I didn't really have a lot of experience, intimate experience with African-American traditions, those who actually grew up here and lived here and, and what their own practices are, right? And, and I, here I am marrying a mixed-race um, woman who half of her other family are, you know, they have this whole history around their African-American experience in America, where her other half is really more about the influence that, that they've had as, as, as a white family here in New Hampshire. So the reason why I say that is because, like, I, I just saw how they, I don't know, just the vibe and energy was just, it was very different, you know? And I wanted to know, like, what, what, what's influencing that? Like, what's, what's making that happen, you know? But um, one of my questions to you is, uh, I, I'm just curious, like, when you, when you think about yourself as a father, do you think about yourself as just a father or do you think about yourself as a black father? I don't know if that question makes sense. I think it depends on the situation, right? Yeah. Um, I just try to think of myself as as dad, mm. you know? Um, I find myself with um, a bit of both of my parents, right? So... Um, and I always grew up saying that I would, <laughs> I, I never wanted to be my parents. And that's not a, not a, you know, not saying that in a bad way, right? but you know, always wanted to just grow up and learn. And, and, and when I became a parent, just kind of learn by each moment and, and, and figure it out. Um, you know, my, my, like you said, my, my dad had, um, this, you know, machismo thing about him and, um, he was, you know, you know, he was strict, but he was fair. Um, and my mom was um, the emotional um, support system and and all of that. So I have I have a little bit of both of them. Mm. And, you know, I want to be and, and I'm still learning as a dad every day, you know, um, just how to um, circumvent different situations with a 10 year old and with a high schooler, you know, they're two different worlds, right. You know? Um, so, so having to kind of play both of those um, situations, you learn every single day how to kind of, all right, well, my high schooler wants to hang out with her friends and well, it's a school night and, you know, how long does FaceTime happen? And, you know, especially in the COVID time, mm. especially when she's not having that ability to socialize with her friends in person, do you kind of give a little bit more leeway to that? Are you a little bit less strict on giving her more time to kind of just get that, um, that socializing aspect out? Um, and the same thing with my 10 year old. Now, you know, he's got new school friends, he's in a hybrid situation. So he's meeting new people. And so now he's starting to find a new circle of friends. And do I do that same thing with the, 
the 10 year old, you know? So, um, I'm, I'm trying to find my way as a dad in my own way. Mm. Um, because I do find myself doing a lot of things and acting in a way that my dad used to, Mm. um, which again, it's not a bad thing, but it's not kind of the, the characteristics of what I want to be as a dad in my head. Mm. Um, so again, like I said, I'm, I'm just kind of still, you know, you still learn, you learn something every day. Right. No, thank Thank you for sharing that. And, and that's, and that's the piece where it's like, For me, I feel like that's when I got the most freedom is when I realized that the experience that my kids are going to have, it's going to have to be authentic based on who they are and and the reality of like where my wife and I are. And, and but it's so hard. It was so hard to not still match those old you know what I mean? Like the old feelings, right? Like the old experiences that you had. Like one of the things, one of my biggest pet peeves is entitlement, right? Entitlement. Oh, man. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us. We're talking about entitlement right now. We're talking about how our fathers, what they instill in us and sometimes how it shows up in how we want to um, lead and guide our, our children and the balance between finding your own way based on where your kids are now and who they are, then the influence of what has, what shaped you, right. As, as a father and what influenced you. And I was just telling Jamie that for me, it's, it's just the entitlement piece is something that I wrestle with all the time because I'm like, at the same time, it's like, I'm still contributing to a certain aspect of what they feel entitled to. So you know, so it's like, if you got them this or you got them that, like, it's coming from you, right? Like, you, so right. if they feel like that's something they deserve, like, if they didn't have it in the first place, they wouldn't feel like they deserved it, right? So it's, it's a fascinating, it's a very, very fascinating thing. And on top of that is also access. You know, I, I didn't grow up with crazy amount of money, even though in my soul, I felt rich, but I made things last, right? Like when I remember when I'll get a new pair of shoes, I won't wear, I'm not going to wear that pair of shoes for like, for, for a couple of weeks, you know, only that special occasion, those shoes are coming out. Right. But where for so, my kids, they get something new. It's like, boom, oh, we're, we're going to go play in the park. It's like, and I'm sitting in my heart. I'm like, you're going to wear those like just to play in the park. <laughs> but You know, listen, back in the day though, you know, Dale, you had play shoes, you had school shoes and you had church shoes. Even, even for clothes too, you know? (laughs) So it's, it's interesting because you, you say that it's funny because my first, like my freshman year in high school, I got my first proper pair of soccer cleats, you know, the Adidas Copa, like that was the shoe, right? So I remember being so diligent about taking care of those shoes after games, wiping them down, you know, putting the mink oil on them, you know, putting them aside, just making sure like nobody touched them, you know, like, just like you said, like they get something, then they're like, we're out. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. slow down, slow down. You, it, it, it'll be there. You don't need to, you know, all the time, you know, my, my daughter got a new pair of shoes and, 
and uh, now she's getting into that that thing. And I said, um, you know, can you walk the dog? And she jumped in those shoes. I was like, hey, you got a you got another pair of shoes. You don't have to wear those. <laughs> Everything you do, like save those, keep them pristine. She's but like, no, daddy, okay. but they're so cute. I like my new <laughs> shoes, Daddy. How come I can't wear them? <laughs> It's it's just different, you know. And, and and I tell her every day, I was like, I don't honestly don't know that I could have grown up in this generation of mm. technology, right? I we, you know, I'm assuming we all grew up in that generation of get outside, go play, get all your energy out, get back in the house, eat, do your homework, go to bed, do it all over again the next day, like. You know, as a coach, you know, even as a, just a, just a, you know, a soccer person, I remember growing up just playing pickup, just calling your friends and saying, hey, let's go meet down and we'll go play pickup. That doesn't happen now. It doesn't matter what sport it is. It just doesn't happen now. You don't see pickup basketball. You don't see, you know, uh, two-hand touch football. Um, you don't see pickup soccer. You just, you know, and, and. You know, not to be redundant, I couldn't, the amount of pressure that these kids with technology have these days, that's another thing, you know, as a dad, trying to navigate and, and trying to be um, a security blanket for your kid who doesn't want to get caught up in some post that's one of their friend's posted and everybody saw but now you're associated with that kid and now you're the bad kid because you are friends with that person right when you could just be an innocent bystander in a situation like that anthony thank you so much for joining us um perfect timing here we're, we're, i'm just we're curious what, what what about you how did how did um your the dynamic that you had growing up with your father influence um you know, the, the type of dad that you are today. I'm just, I'm, we're, we're curious around. And how does it show up? And are you able to name it at times when you're like, oh, that's definitely not the Anthony, that's the dad influence or that's the uncle's influence or whoever that played a critical role in your life as you were growing up? Well, you know, Dale, you, uh, you know, my, my situation was very unique because, you know, my father left when I was four, mm. you know, when my parents, you know, kind of separated. And so I was raised by my mother. And I was raised by my father's grandparents. So it was my, my mama and my father's grandparents. Now, keep in mind, I'm a product of a mixed marriage. So my mm -hmm. mother was a short Irish Appalachian white woman from Kentucky. And my father was a 6'4 six, six with his Afro 6'10. Fletch reference, by the way. Jamie, I'm sure you remember that movie. Love it. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, and that was a weird dynamic. And so... You know, I had the benefit of a mother who was really my hero in life, who worked so tirelessly to be both mom and father, recognizing she couldn't be both. Mm -hmm. And so she really, my grandfather really stepped in and he gave me the tools to be successful in today's world. And so I don't hear my father. I hear my granddaddy. Mm -hmm. Now, it's unique in this situation because my granddaddy, Hiram, he was raised by his grandparents too. Wow. And so, you know, Jamie can attest this day. You can attest, you know, back in the day, many of us who happened to be 
uh, maybe a shade lighter than a brown paper bag might try to pass, right? Mm -hmm. And so his parents went, his dad, after his mother had passed away, had moved to Minnesota and passed as Italian, right? Wow. So it's weird because I was raised by my grandparents who was raised by his grandparents who were slaves. So I, I really feel that it really served me well because I hear these old voices and these old spirits in my head every single day that I'd like to believe have given me the internal strength, fortitude, and just willingness to try. And I think had it not been for my grandfather and my grandmother for, for sure, but particularly my granddaddy, I don't know where I would be damn. So, you know, it doesn't, I guess the, the moral of the story here is we all know, particularly within our community, you know, it doesn't have to be your father. It can be your uncle. It can be your grandfather. Right. It's just having that dominant and strong male role model in our lives who can teach us right from wrong and scold us when we do wrong and praise us when we do well. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, Anthony. Um, I was telling Jamie earlier that I, I was I was thrown into a father figure role at the age of seven years old, you know, so I, I had to um, carry that responsibility for so long. And then I reached a certain point where my brothers were becoming more independent and we kind of had to have that heart to heart where it's like, Dale, you're not our father. You're you're our you are our older brother. But th those experiences shaped a lot of my experience as once I started having my own kids, realizing that. Hey, even though you've already have had the responsibility of, you know, changing diapers and doing this and designating roles and, you know, making sure that people are following the rules, that that emotional attachment was very different than the emotional attachment of having directly with your own kids. And that's something that I, I, ha I had to learn uh, along the way. And, and going back to what you were saying, Anthony, um, when I when I moved to the states, a lot of the male figure roles that I had were predominantly white males that I that came alongside me through church, through school, and it wasn't from even though we had like uh, you know other African immigrants that were friends with us, they they still they couldn't really meet me where I was the way that some of the white male figure in my community came alongside me. And it didn't happen until I was in high school where my friend's dad, my friend's stepdad, who was African-American, who actually came alongside me. And for the first time in my life, I actually had a black male figure <laughs> in my life. And I recently reflected on that. I actually, I, I got teary because I started crying because my wife and I went for a dinner and um, uh, Nathan Harris, who was Sharon Harris's husband, asked me a question is like and I as I was reflecting on it, I just started crying. But I, th I think that piece is like it's so it's so critical how you come alongside a, ch a child 
you know, and, 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 and you walk with them. So the, the guys in my church that own their own business that said, hey, you know, we're going to pay you a little penny for helping to carry the lights and make sure that, you know, the rest of the team are able to get this. Or someone who said, hey, I'm going to show you how, you know, to, to, to run a lawnmower or, you know, how the weed whacker works, all that stuff. It was through the experience that I had with, with those folks in my church that, that kind of took me on, took me in. And I don't think I would have learned those experiences through my mom because that that wasn't her that wasn't part of her everyday you know her responsibility then along what she was going to be able to pass on to me you know but um i'm just curious like within the society of where we are now i know you both have um mixed race kids i have mixed race kids as well we all happen to have mixed race kids um how how do you continue to hold on to the principles of who you are as as a person of color passing some of those key things that you feel is 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 important for your children to have and to recognize regardless of how much they fit in with one or another right i'm just curious around that cuz this is a conversation that i've i've been i've been hearing in a different level but it hasn't been really articulated for the most part in terms of how like the national media or books or whatever that's out there, how people talk about it. And the conversations that I have one-on-one with, with you guys and different folks that I know, I just, I, I find it to be so valuable, you know? So that's why there, this is the reason why I decided for this podcast, the next series to be around this topic. So I'm curious from you guys, how do you, what, what are you saying to your kids? How are you, passing those core principles to them regarding who they are and how the society might potentially view them. Brother Jamie, you can go first, sir. Um, you know, I think um, the, I think the atmosphere that we're in right now gave me a little bit more of a jump start um, to get my more so my daughter than my son right now um, to really start to you know gather facts and 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 understand um, who who she is who we are um, the environment that we are currently living in um, she's very curious um, which I, I love. Um, she's now, you know, starting to delve into more um, historical facts, um, reading books, listening to podcasts, um, and and just gathering things that she can come to me and ask about. Um, and it's cool because, like I said, you know, we live in Concord. Her, her dance studios in Manchester. So we have um, this 20, 20 minute drive, you know, south and we get to chat. Um, and so we'll just, you know, back and forth conversation about whatever she wants to talk about, you know, um, whatever topic it may be um, that she's feeling, you know, some type of emotion about mm. that day. Um, and I, and I love that about her, that she is um, she's a self-starter. 
she wants to learn she wants to absorb information she she's a bookworm um so you know i think that makes the conversation easy um when it comes to that you know my 10 year old you know i'm not sure for him particularly I and mean, i can't speak for all 10 year olds um that he's ready to have that conversation um, or conversations we, we, you know, we talk about, you know, little things here and there, um, but nothing to the extent um, that my daughter and I are talking about. Um, what's, what's fun is that she just kind of looks at both sides of the fence, right? She looks at her um, African-American side and she looks at her um, white side and she enjoys both she just you know and and it's never um it's never kind of uh one or the other mm. right it's always she's very much this is who i am i have both but this is who i am and this is who i'm going to be so um it's going to be fun when I have that conversation with my son, but it's really, it's really eye-opening to see my um, my daughter kind of just taking all this all in and, and educating herself, and um, it's it's pretty cool. Thank you, Jamie, for sharing that. What about you, Anthony? Um, well, I am the product, obviously, of a mixed marriage, and so that experience growing up. I'm 50 years of age, so I was born in 1970. If you think about it, when I was born only six years prior to that, I wouldn't have had the right to vote, right? I can count that on two fingers or two hands rather. And so, you know, for me, it's always something I always kind of keep in mind. And also too, at that time, there weren't a lot of kids who reflected my experience, you know, very different world in which we live in today. So, and my mother did her best with what she had available to her. So I was raised in the AME church, you know, my, my, my stepfather was a treasurer or my stepdaughter, my, my, um, Grandfather was the uh, treasurer of the church. So I had that strong African-American influence through the church. Mm. My mother did her blessed um, to say, hey, you know, this is a colorblind society. You know, we're all one, whatever. And that's a good statement. But at that age, I really needed something more than that. I needed to be clear and defined about who I was. And so I, even myself, I struggled until I was 16, until I had a real sense of who I was as a person. So, Brother Jamie, I'm so proud of you for what you're doing because your daughter is so far advanced than I would, would have been at her age. You know what I'm saying? And that's a testament to you as parents. But and it's not a I'm not saying my mother did wrong, but I'm saying she did the best she had with what she had available and the tools she then. So it took it was, if it wasn't for public enemy tribe called Quest, you know what I'm saying? Diggable, I mean, Diggable Planets, all these folks, you know, Nation of the Millions, that album changed my world. So I mean, awesome. literally, Yo Bum Mercer Show changed my life. Native tongues. It gave me a sense of who I was in ways I couldn't have, I couldn't articulate then. Now, because of that experience, I've been very clear with my children. I have two beautiful daughters, right? But I'm a person of African descent, and their mother is from Colombia, South America. So we had nobody here at the time, and we had children who reflected our experience. And so we were very clear about I was, I kept every clipping of their great, great grandparents. I would make them go through it. So they knew those histories and those stories, mm. just like my grandfather told me, 
right? And the slave and poor and everything that we know. But then we've also made a very concerted effort on my wife's side, um, ex-wife now, bless her, but wife's side, to make sure they were clear about where they come from, Colombia. We would go back to Colombia and visit and travel. So they had a real sense of identity. So they could come up, much like Jamie said, with they could come up with their own definition of self. Mm. You know, so they could take this in, bring it in and say, well, thank you for these influences, but here's who I am. Oh, wow. And it's, you know, as my daughter, she'll be 20. Oh, my God, in 12 days. Lord, I'm old. <laughs> congrats. And, uh, I'll wish her a happy birthday. <laughs> you know, it, it's really, it's really, it's really interesting to, to speak about James and to see them begin to come into themselves. And instead of trying to say, oh, yeah, we're all one, they go, no, I am this, I am this, I am this. And they own it and they make it a part of who they are. And they're proud of it as opposed to saying, well, we're all just one and kumbaya. Um, it's been a unique experience to watch their grow up and not be burdened with the issue of race and ethnicity like I was, let alone having some decent hair products and knowing how to do your hair. <laughs> that was a whole other issue in and of itself. I've got pictures on Facebook. You can look them blue and stuff. <laughs> no, th- thank you for sharing that, Anthony. And, and, and for me, it's the unfortunate part on, on my end is that we, we, at my household, we've had to start already having this conversation and my oldest is about to turn eight and my youngest is four and and even early on within their 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 experiences they had certain things that played out like going playing around in a local park and my kid claims a certain superhero and another kid's like no there's no black superhero right so mom has to come in and has to have that conversation and then that opens up almost opens up a Pandora box where it's not even, that shouldn't even be the case at, in this phase of where they are within their life to have that conversation. And, and something that's very interesting that we've experienced, like my kids are all different. They all have different shades <laughs> that makes who they are, different textures of hair. And, and, um, and, you know, we've had to, even for my daughter, my daughter, she's the lightest out of all my kids. And and we've had to, to kind of educate her, depending on certain things that she says, that she knows that, hey, you're the same as your brothers. You're the same as 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 as, as Dada. You're the same as Coco, which is my, my what they call my mother. Um, and... But then at the same time, too, it's the experiences that they've had, too. Uh, for a lot of their earlier friends were predominantly white friends. So, you know, which there's nothing wrong with that. That's amazing. That's awesome. It's just because a lot of my wife's friends are predominantly white. So, but as things started to come about, depending on different experiences that we had, we felt that it was important to be able to to have conversations with them, obviously ap- appropriately based on their age, right? But we find ourselves, even with everything playing out within our society now, having to frequently talk about certain things that we shouldn't have to in this in this phase of their life that they need to be able to explore and discover themselves. 
but we see it how it might impact them negatively in relation to maybe experience they have in a classroom or certain things or a certain historical thing that might come up as more of a celebration thing. And you're like, actually, you know, there's other stuff that happened within that. That's why this thing is here. Um, so it's been, it's, been, it's been a very fascinating journey and an experience regarding that. And, um, and I think, and, and, and so for me growing up in New Hampshire, I didn't really have a lot of racial conversation with my mother. Like that wasn't part of, <laughs> she, she cared more about our character who we were, who, who were, we were becoming than how someone else might perceive us. But there was many incidents that she experienced discrimination and prejudice, either if it was around her accent or if it's the way, the way that she presented herself as an African lady trying to navigate being in New Hampshire. Um, but that never, I never saw like a side of weakness on her regarding some of those experiences i remember someone called her the n-word a couple of time when she used to take the bus in order to go to a second shift job that she had but the way she talked about it it, it wasn't even like it didn't even impact her so for me it, when i saw that manifest so much that i didn't i didn't really focus so much on the negative aspect of how i was being treated as a black male and growing up in new hampshire but i also feel like i subdued it so much so to a certain extent that sometimes I missed the opportunity to confront certain things. And then those who accepted me kind of made an exception to be like, oh, but it's you, Dale. It's like, no, it's not me. I, I'm, I'm the same. I'm just because, I, you know, we go to school together, we're in a soccer team, or we do this together. I'm still who I am holistically, regardless of how you decide to accept me. And I think for, for me as a father, I feel like that journey is always going to be there, right? And, and, and I have to decide how do I educate and, and, and guide my children as they continue to navigate that landscape of, of their identity within this, within this space that we're in, you know? So um, my, my last question or to you guys, it's really around, you know, your, your, what, what is, when you think of, a, what do you aspire to be as a father? When you think of certain characteristic or certain way that you want your, your kids to, to perceive you and to think of you you know, at, at, at any level, right? If it's, you know, if, if they're going through hardship or if they just want to be goofy, they want to be silly or they want to, you know, just celebrate something. I'm just curious around that. How, how do you, is that something that you think about and, and, and you, you ponder and does that inform how you show up at times in order to make sure that that perception is being carried out in terms of how they see you when you, when, when they think of you? as a dad. Mr. Report. Ah, he threw it back at you. He threw uh, it at you. Well, you know, hey, listen, I appreciate it. You know, baby, it's like tennis. Um, you know, it, it's interesting. First of all, I want to go back to your, just your previous point. And I think, you know, we can, you know, we can bring forward all the lessons and the examples from the outside world. But I think 
the best lessons we can provide our children is to lead by example. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about that, and then you talk about what the question you just asked <coughs> is, <coughs> excuse me, we do have certain things in common, uh, Dale, I know, and, and Brother Jamie, maybe you as well, which is, you know, as a person of faith, you know, that guides and leads all that I do. And so some of the some of the characteristics I try to demonstrate that I hope that they'll see, you know, um, are, you know, strength of character. You know, uh, we call it stick to um, you know, humility, grace. These are the things that I think matter because from my perspective, I also one of my mentors. So we talked about father figures. One of my greatest father figures, mentors I ever had was Willard Lett. All of you know Willard, mm-hmm. right? And so when I was coming up at 24 and he was watching over me, now that's over half of my life, right? When I had my children, he said, the best lessons you can give them is give them choices. So what do you mean, Willard? He said, give parameters, but give them choice. Because at some point in time, they're going to have to exercise their own choice. And if they've never had practice doing that and then expose them to the world is actually not preparing them for the world in which they need to live. Mm. And I thought, you know, all the things that I can share with my children through example, through the things that I've learned, one of the greatest gifts I can give them is the opportunity of choice. It is your choice. Here are what can happen. But at the end of the day, you have to choose because they're going to bear the consequences of those choices. Jamie, I'm sure we're going to be there, protect, covet, right? And when necessary, and heal the boo-boo when it comes their way. But earning the boo-boo and then learning how to stand up from that, right? And to, 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 to endure and to continue on into adulthood is what I'm really focused on, right? Mm. Giving them choices uh, within a certain thing, right? <laughs> I mean... You know, so it's it's the bumpers, you know, in a, in a bowling alley kind of thing is what I'm really trying to illustrate. here. Um, but these are some of the things, I mean, these are all things that your parents, your grandparents shared with you. And the one thing I have also wanted to share with them, particularly under the circumstance we find ourselves in today, which is this idea that we are our brother's keepers. And we live in such an individualistic kind of society that we're only as strong as the weakest link. And we need each other if mm-hmm. we're going to be successful in whatever we, we, we think. That's the other thing I'm really trying to share with them. It's not about you. It's about the us. And being part of something larger than yourself is powerful. If they get it, great. If not, we gave it a shot, huh, Jamie? <laughs> What's interesting is uh, a little side note that I'm going to give uh, some credit to Mr. Poor. Um, I'm fortunate enough to know his oldest. Um, Mariana. Yes. And her character, her, um, her stick-to-itiveness, her, um, her heart, her... Um, She's so well-spoken. Um, I, I think uh, you've done uh, a tremendous job 
um, with Mari. Um, so hats off to you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Um, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying about those traits that I picked up from my, from my father. Um, you know, my kids are super silly and they have their own little, you know, thing that they do. They have their own little, you know, kind of just mannerisms and, and, and jokes and all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, I find myself in those moments where I should be, um, a little bit more laid back, a little bit more in the moment with their goofiness and, mm. and not being able to do that. And again, that's, I feel like it's a product of my dad. And again, not, you know, not to take away anything from my dad. My dad worked hard. Um, he was, he's unbelievable. Um, he's super hilarious. Got great wit. Um, but there's that piece, and I, you know, and uh, Anthony, before you came on, I said, you know, I'm still every day trying to work to be better at those little things of fatherhood. Yeah. That when my kids look back when they're in college or when they're married and all that kind of stuff, and they can say, oh, he was he was super cool when we did this, or he was he was. You know, um, he was strict but fair mm. about this situation. Um, you know, I, I love what you talk about boundaries, but having choices within those boundaries. Um, and our job is to to make sure that they evaluate all their choices and find the best one for them. Right. So. Um, Every day is new. Every day is a learning experience. And um, I just kind of look at fatherhood that way and try to make the best choices for them um, and act accordingly in the situation so that I know that um, they still want to be able to come back to me and say, hey, I have a question or, hey, what do you think about this? And they're comfortable with that without them saying, well, uh, he's too strict. Uh, I don't want to, maybe I, you know, I want them to be, it doesn't matter whether it's now, whether down the road that they can still FaceTime me and be like, Hey, I got this, this, and this. What do you think? Hey, here's my, here's what I think. You're going to make your own decision, but here's my perspective on it. I want that. I want that for the rest of my living years. Well, thank you guys so much. I know we could stay here forever, and I hope this is a start for future conversation. Uh, part of this podcast is about persevering to excel. So the last 30-second mile run advice for other fathers that are out there, either they're, they're new as fathers or they've been fathers for, for a while now, what, what would be a word of encouragement? What would be a word of encouragement to us fathers that are that are, you know, we're all in there. We're all in there together, right? We're all there. We're all in there in the mud and all the different moving parts that comes about. But what would be an encouragement that you would like to, to get to give out? Go on, coach. <laughs> um, love every second. Love 
every second of your experience of a dad, whether it's changing blowout diapers (laughs) 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 or, you know, or that first experience of your kid being super successful, whether it's their first steps or their first great grade in school, um, their first goal in sports, whatever it is, live in that moment. Well said. And, and if I could add on to that, I also think that we enter into this thing called fatherhood with a tremendous amount of expectations and pressures on ourselves. Mm. I think we need to love ourselves and recognize that we're not perfect. We're not perfect parents. We're not supposed to be. And love ourselves enough to allow ourselves to make mistakes every now and then. And not beat us up for it, ourselves up for it. Mm. Um, and for me, yeah, that was, you know, I had so much pressure. You know, I, was, I always want to be the perfect dad, the perfect this, the perfect this. Nobody's perfect. And I don't think our kids and our children are looking for us to be perfect. They're just looking for us to be good parents. Mm. And parents and perfection don't necessarily go like this, right? It's more about parents and just trying to make it happen and doing the best we can with what we have available to us at that moment. Thank you so much. Here you have it. Here you have it. So excited to have Jamie and Anthony join me in the podcast today. We could have made this happen and go on forever, but I am so appreciative that we're able to have this awesome time to have this conversation, this authentic conversation. This is what it's all about for black dads to be able to just be authentic and tell their stories and tell their experiences. This is how we learn from each other. So I thank you guys so much for joining me. And for my listener, uh, subscribe, share, whatever you want to do, support, persevere to excel. 